Hello and welcome to the After Dinner Podcast. My name is John Keeley and this is the podcast extension of ROI show number 501. Our guest for today is Dr. Paulette Steves, Associate Professor in Sociology and Anthropology and Chair of the Geography, Geology and Land Management Program at Algoma University, who will be talking to us about her book, The Indigenous Paleolithic of the Western Hemisphere. The history buffs for us, our show today are Jay Swords and Rick Sweet, Rick, you get to start us off. Thanks, John. Paulette, uh, you mentioned in the broadcast portion uh, about 24 glacial periods. Uh, and during those periods, I would imagine the Bering Straits with a land bridge uh, each time that uh, the glaciers came down. Uh, and since in geological time, the, the plates haven't really moved uh, substantially in the last uh, two million years. What? Uh, how long did the last land bridge last from the last glacial period? Oh, I'm not sure how long it lasted. I'm I'm still working on my chart. It was thousands of years because these these things take a lot of time. But there were times like two million years ago, all of North America was pretty much a subtropical continent. And so you have this uh, beautiful continent with a lot of food, a lot of viable areas for mammalian and human um, living, and you have a land bridge. So there were, when, when we had glaciers, the water was greatly lowered, and sometimes that created a land bridge. But there were also times between the glaciers when there was a land bridge, and there were a lot of, uh, a lot of viable food sources for mammals and humans on the land. So that's something that people have talked about, little pieces of it here together, and I'm trying to pull the whole picture together and weave it into one big picture over the last two million years. Okay. Jay. Paulette, on the radio show, you mentioned briefly using linguistic evidence as as another vehicle to uh, sort of understand what's been going on. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that and about, um, you know, are there indigenous cultural um, elements that lead you to, that, that provide more evidence to, for a, a much longer uh, occupation uh, than what uh, has been previously uh, argued for? Yes, so we can, um, we can look at languages and old traditions for the same evidence we find at archaeological sites for the evidence of extinct species. So there's a uh, Native American community in the Northwest that has a mammoth dance and a mammoth song. So you wouldn't have a mammoth dance if you hadn't seen a mammoth moving, because the dance mimics the movements uh, of the mammoth. And there's an oral tradition uh, from the Osage community about a battle between the great beasts. Um, and this is along the Palm de Terre River, not far from the Mississippi River. And the beasts were covering the land, and it wasn't safe to go out on the land. So these would have been mammoths and mastodons. But then the beasts had a big fight, and a lot of them died. And so to honor them for making the land safe again, the Osage had a, a ceremony every single year at the site of that battle, where the Osage, by the way, burnt a lot of the uh, mammal re remains to respect them. And when the Osage were removed, settlers moved in, and archaeologists came in. And what did they find? Right uh, you know, at that site where the Osage held their ceremony for thousands of years, they found a lot of burned mammoth bones and stone tools. So here we have uh, an oral tradition that supports 
what the archaeologists found at the site. Okay. Um, you have pretty much laid a very concrete argument that there has been um, um, suppression of thought and facts and theories um, over the last century of just exactly how long uh, human Homo sapiens sapiens have been uh, in the two continents. Um, this is where we ask often, uh, you look into your crystal ball, we don't hold you obliged to it, but is it going to take another hundred years to clearing up this uh, mess of um, inaccurate information, you think, to finally get this record state uh, straight? I don't think so. I think my book has gone a long way to doing that, and I think people like Vine Deloria Jr. opened that door and I'm extremely grateful to those archaeologists uh, over the last, you know, 80, 100 years that recorded these sites that told the truth that even though they knew they were putting their careers in danger, they published on these sites. Some of them were fired. They all faced extreme criticism, but they stuck to their guns because they felt it was the right thing to do to tell the truth. I owe them so much because without all of the knowledge they created, I would have had nothing really to go on. But I think now, you know, I think there's in the last five years since I started publishing on this, um, archaeolo some archaeologists have been less afraid to speak out. And one of the things you have to do when, when something's wrong, when we're pushing back against, you know, something that supports human rights, all humans have a right to their history and their links to their homeland. When we're pushing back on that, you can't make changes unless you discuss how we got here. So I've been very open about discussing the racism and bias in anthropology and archaeology. Chapter two of my book covers it specifically, and it's been going on since, you know, since the early 1900s. And it's time to stop. And it's time to ask people to use those scientific knowledges the way they're supposed to. You know, indigenous people, archaeologists are always calling them Asians from Asia. Excuse me. Asia did not exist 12,000 years ago. Neither did an Asian culture. Native Americans and First Nations are indigenous to the continents of the Western Hemisphere and have been so for thousands of years. It's not hard to change your language when you're teaching and to teach that. Stop calling us Asians from Asia when Asia didn't exist 12,000 years ago. So that's a normalized violence against indigenous people. I'm very open about discussing this. I know a lot of archaeologists don't appreciate it, but um, what do they? What's the term they say? Put your big girl panties on and <laughs> get on with the work, right? <laughs> That's, I'm sure, a very archaeological term that probably has been used in many places. Um, kudos to that argument, uh, Jay. Paulette, <clears throat> so again, John asked you to sort of put your crystal ball uh, to work here. Um, what would you hope five, ten years from now, what would you hope that um, archaeological texts uh, are, are going to say? Do we have a narrative at this point? Do we know enough? Have we done enough research to be able to map out how immigration patterns worked and um, those sorts of things? Do you think will be that that point in five to ten years where we have a, a consistent um uh, consistence the wrong word a, a a better picture of the the overall uh, migration and settlement patterns um, in the western hemisphere yeah i really hope in five years that every student that goes to archaeology hears this one phrase 
How long have people been in the Western Hemisphere? We don't know. But we're certainly open to finding out. And by the way, there's evidence that states they've been here at points at 24,000 years to 200,000 years before present. And so we also have to look at uh, archaeology on a global scale. What were humans capable of doing 200,000 years ago? Well, they were extremely capable. 100,000 years ago, apparently, they started using open water transport. How can we compare the technologies and the presence of humans on a continental scale? So you can't say, like, the rest of the world has completely changed what they knew about human evolution. In the last five years, that's completely changed based on a lot of really good new scientific technologies that we can use to discern those evidence from archaeological sites. You can't say the whole rest of the world changed and North America hasn't changed its tune since 19, late 1920s when they finally agreed that people had been here 10,000 years ago, right? North America and South America changed just as much as the rest of the world. What we have to do is allow that research to be done, fund that research, and encourage that research to be done so we can actually really know. And when we do that, like I said earlier, we push back on racism, misunderstanding, and bias. And when you do that, you make the world a better place for all people. Rick? Paula, we had uh, the uh, Iowa State uh, head of the archaeology department for the state uh, here a few months back, and he's working a site uh, in southeast Iowa that is, from their data at this point, he believes between twenty and 24,000 years old. Um, but uh, that's just a footnote. I thought I'd throw that out there. The uh, comment you made in the broadcast section um, that one of the missing pieces in uh in academia is no discussion of Paleolithic tools. Can you give us an idea of what these are and uh, before the Clovis points? Yeah, they're they're stone tools like you find anywhere in the world. Um, that so one of the oldest ones I know of is around two hundred thousand years old from central Mexico. And these are generally stone tools that are, that are very nice, finely made stone tools that you would find anywhere in the world. And so that, that's a big piece of work that I think a lot of graduate students could weave a beautiful Ph.D. out of, is the comparing of the Paleolithic tools in the Americas. And one of the reasons I chose that title for my book, it's kind of my Indian humor uh, getting the better of me, is that archaeologists have denied for over 100 years that there was ever a Paleolithic in the Americas. They don't teach about Paleolithic tools in the Americas. So part of my book title had to be, of course, to poke back at them, the indigenous Paleolithic of the Western Hemisphere, the Americas. We did have a Paleolithic here, and I'm really happy to say that some people are beginning to work on defining the technologies of the indigenous Paleolithic in North and South America. Okay. We would like to thank our guest for the 501st show, Dr. Paulette Steves, Associate Professor in Sociology and Anthropology and Chair of the Geography, Geology, and Land Management Program at Algoma University, who talked to us about her book, The Indigenous Paleolithic of the Western Hemisphere. The History Bus for today's show were Jay Swords and Rick Sweet. ROI can be found at 9.30 p.m. Friday nights at KALA Radio or on the web at TuneIn.com. If you're looking for older programs, you'll find them at SoundCloud.com. 
Just put KALA Radio in the search and click on the first icon and scroll down to find nearly a decade of ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all your favorite streaming platforms. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.